Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. Great, as always, to have you join us as uh, we move into March. I'm actually in Tampa, where the SEC tournament is this week. Chris is in his uh, palatial studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Where, where they are, Have they stopped partying yet after the buzzer beater last night in the uh, Southern Conference Final? Wow. Um, I get to go to, to the campus today and teach my sports writing class. And... Uh, I'm sure it's going to be nuts there. I've actually tried to to get Coach Lamont Paris uh, and, and uh, David Jean Baptiste, who made that incredible 30 footer to to send Chattanooga into the dance. I'm I'm hoping they can come into my class, but uh, I don't know if I'll get priority over <laughs> over the major news outlets. <laughs> you should though. You should. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've known Lamont ever since he's been there, obviously, and. I write the blue Rib- the Chattanooga story for a blue ribbon, and he's such an intelligent and well-spoken guy, and and uh, you just root for a guy like that. He's he lost twenty games his first two seasons there. He inherited a program that really Will Wade and Matt McCall had put on good footing, and uh, a lot of people transferred, and and then he really kind of rebuilt it. He came from Wisconsin where he was on the staff with Bo Ryan. And of course they, they built things up through freshmen and red shirting and all that. Right. Right. And he quickly realized he tried to do that, but he quickly realized that wasn't going to happen. So he really hit the transfer portal hard. And, you know, this team that's going to the dance is, is filled with players who began their career elsewhere. But I think he realized, and, and I give him props for ad- adapting and not like getting just any transfers, but but kids who fit in, and and then the occasional power conference guy like DeSosa from from Kansas, uh, uh, who really he was hurt for part of the year, but and he had that big tip in last night, and uh, you know he just gives them a presence. Uh, speaking of which. Uh, when we do our final bracket breakers, uh, I think we should do Chattanooga this time. <laughs> yeah, maybe they, they might be the one. Yeah, D'Souza had 17 and 14 in that championship game. Chattanooga gets the automatic bid. They're 27 and 7. They went 14 and 4 in the regular season. I always say on the other side of a buzzer beater, there's always that other team and what they're dealing with. Furman had not been to the NCAA tournament in 40 years. I, I don't yeah. think they missed a shot in overtime. Mike Bothwell scored with four seconds to give him the lead in OT, and their fans are going bananas. I mean, you can see them all up behind the bench and everywhere else, and it's the Paladins' time, man. They're going. And then four seconds later, uh, the 40-footer for the win off the logo. And it wasn't just the hit a 40-footer. He you know, didn't pull up uncontested and fire it in there. There are like two or three guys draped over him. He's like on the Ingles logo out there near midcourt, and, and, and man, uh, just drilled it. It was all strings. It was, it was a neat scene because we were – in a restaurant, um, we were having dinner. I was with Vanderbilt's team, and they had the game on. We were all watching it, and when that shot went in, the whole restaurant just exploded. Uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a packed place, and there were lots of TVs, and uh, it, it was a really cool scene down here. And it made me think that everywhere around the country, there are probably people watching that game that had the same reaction, especially if you don't really have any rooting interest uh, as far as what happens one way or another. But felt bad for Furman's guys, man, because – they they were four seconds away from going, and uh, it was just heartbreak hotel for those dudes. Yeah, I've gotten to know Furman's coach too, Bob Ritchie, and he's a really good young coach. And you know, if, if they'd have gotten in there, he that might have been his ticket out. I, a lot of people are already saying Lamont Paris might be gone after this, but 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. The I was a, a young sports writer when when Furman last got in. It's uh, again talking about the decades instead of yes, the years. It was four decades, involved. Chris. Uh, but uh, yeah, it would have been great to see Furman back in. But heck, this is the school that signs my paycheck, man. That's right. You might get <laughs> I to go. There. I, I got a pull for the big mocks. Uh, but you're right. It was crazy. Four seconds left is, is plenty of time. Yeah. I, I always hearken back to the NIT game, uh, Vanderbilt, uh, Wichita State at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt throws a length of the court pass with half a second left and wins it. So there's always a chance, right? Right. And John Baptiste, he did something that is atypical, I think. Most people, they drive to the middle of the court. He drove to the corner, like you said, where that Ingalls grocery store logo was. And he got tremendous elevation, not only uh, lifting off from the floor vertically, but I don't know. I've played basketball when I was younger. And sometimes when when somebody's coming at you uh, with outstretched hands, you just automatically, instinctively push the up button on the elevator and you get it a little higher. You put a little more arc on it. And that's what John Baptiste did. And it was nothing but net. And just the scene, uh, my first thought was they're going to crush the poor dude because not only did his teammates pile on, but there's these bare-chested students from out of the stands. That's like that probably some of your dude. students. <laughs> Were any of those guys in your class? I, I didn't recognize any of them. I, I would have uh, reprimanded them today if they were even in class. Yeah, I don't think they would have made uh, it. But, yeah, I mean, let's let's don't kill the guy that, that just made one of the great March plays. I, I guess it was SportsCenter's play of the day. I, I would so, think it would have to be. I mean, that, that was one of the great buzzer beaters of all time in college of basketball. Of all time. I mean, it, it That's was, why I, I texted Lamont Paris, and I said, that was one of the best shots in history. Uh it's crazy. That's that's one of the cool things about tournament basketball and the things you see in this month. It's a random Monday night, uh, and it's you know it's championship Monday for that league. But you, you get to see something like that you, you totally didn't expect uh, when that game started. But it, it was a great game. Ended up in overtime, and uh, Chattanooga is on the way. Uh, teams already in include Murray State after their uh, twenty and zero run through the OVC. They won a close one against Moorhead State in the final, which I thought Moorhead State was. Uh, a tough matchup for them going into that game, just given how well they can guard. Loyola Chicago, they played great in winning their uh, Missouri Valley Conference tournament. Last uh, time for them in that league, same as Murray State in the OVC. Georgia State, I know you're friends with Rob Lanier. Uh, they took the Sun Belt with a win over Louisiana. They had finished third in the regular season in that league, so uh, congrats to the Panthers down in Atlanta. Yeah, Rob's a good coach, and, and he was a great choice to replace Ron Hunter when, when Hunter took the Tulane job, and that – that program is used to going to, to the NCAA tournament. And they didn't play as well as they would have liked in the regular season. That COVID ravaged that team, uh, unlike few that I can recall. Uh, and they didn't shoot the ball that well this year, but they, they shot it well enough to go in. Uh, Corey Allen, who's a super senior who stayed, was most outstanding player. He scored 29 points two games in a row down wow. there. So – you know, you talk about the the great things that can happen in March and heroes emerge. You know, heroes like Corey Allen, who scores 58 points in two games. And David John Baptiste for Chattanooga, who, you know, ice in his veins, throws in that 30-footer. And you're right, it was he had three people on him. 
including one guy just <laughs> did everything he had to do, you know, that your coach to do. And, and, you know, it, it's just, sometimes it's destiny. Uh, the other team that's already in, as we record this, is Longwood. They won the Big South 79-58 over Winthrop. They went 15-1 and in the regular season in that league. Coming up uh, on this Tuesday, uh, the Atlantic Sun, the Colonial, the Horizon, the Northeast Conference, the Summit, the West Coast Conference. We'll get another Gonzaga-St. Mary's final out there in that one. Uh, you look at Joe Lenardi's top seeds. you got Gonzaga and Baylor and Arizona and Kansas, Auburn, Kentucky, Wisconsin, and Duke as the twos. So that, that top eight sounds about right. The last four buys, Wake Forest, Creighton, Memphis, and Michigan, the last four in, and that means teams that could be headed to Dayton. Uh, according to Joe Lenardi, Xavier, Wyoming, Rutgers, and SMU saw those guys down in Dallas earlier in the season. The first four out, Indiana, BYU, Dayton, and Virginia Tech. And the next four out, uh, Virginia, VCU, Florida, and Texas A&M. So that's where things stand, and that's all Chris highly subject to change uh, as we move through this championship week and, and Sunday arrives and you, and you know for sure what the bracket's going to look like. Yeah, you never know. I, I just I seized on one name there that that, that you said Texas A and M uh, that hasn't appeared in in his bracket. Yeah. I don't think all, all season. And now you look, uh, they they've got to buy into the second round of the SEC tournament, and and they get to play Florida, which you know hasn't had quite the season they wanted either. So uh, Texas A and M and Buzz Williams, I mean, they've got a chance you know, to win that game. And, and who knows, uh, then they're on a collision course with number one Auburn. And you, you just never know crazy things happen in conference tournaments. And that's what I love about, again, we talked about it the, the first two podcasts of this month. I, I love championship week because nutty stuff happens and it's all a prelude to the big dance. Yeah. For Florida, they need to have a big week here in their home state to, to make the tournament, I think. They really needed to beat Kentucky on Saturday. I think if they could have won that game, that would have gone a long way in getting them in, but it didn't happen. Uh, so they're going to have to do some damage down here in Tampa. Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Arkansas are the top four seeds for this SEC tournament. Then there's a gap to the rest of the pack. And you yep. got all those teams that are closely bunched together, all right around 500, right in that 99 range. The SEC figures to get six in. Alabama and LSU are projected to make, and you, you got to feel like they probably will. But I, I don't know that I see anybody else making it unless Florida or A&M made some huge run. But you're right. You had not really seen A&M in anything well, like that in a long time. So uh, they, they've done some, some good things here in recent weeks. Vanderbilt actually uh, beat Texas A&M in Nashville a few weeks ago, and that was uh, a huge win for Vanderbilt at the time. Uh, kind of keeping the, the hopes alive of uh, finishing over 500 in the league or, or potentially having a, a shot at postseason. Uh, I, I was thinking about this as we were flying down here yesterday. What my all-conference team for the SEC would look like, who, who, who I feel like are, are the top five players in the league, I think Oscar Shibway of Kentucky, he's a he's got to be a locked win player of the year. You average Definitely. like 16 and 15. It's hard to go against that. I was thinking about the five players that I thought were the most impressive that I saw this season in person. Shibway, Jabari Smith, and Walker Kessler from Auburn. Scotty Pippen Jr. for Vanderbilt, to me, has to be first team all-conference. He's averaged 20 a game and has just carried, no carried this team. And J.D. Note, he and Scotty had actually swapped out the scoring lead for a whole lot of the season. Uh, Arkansas has had a good year. Note has been a really good player for them. But if, if I was picking just five, and I know they have more than that as far as these all-conference teams, would I, I think those would be the five I would go with. You know what? Uh, we've been partners for many years, and I am dead on with you. That would be my choice as well. Uh, the, of course, the SEC coaches always cop out and pick 10. Yeah. <laughs> so 
you know, there'd probably have to be a, a, a Tennessee player in there somewhere. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, who, who would you choose? Like, Vescovy's had, had a terrific year. Zakai Ziegler, I, I would think. Uh, Jamari Smith is probably freshman of the year in the league, but Zakai Ziegler no is certainly question. all freshman. That, that guy's on the all-freshman he, team. He's a huge I, I think, difference uh, maker. And, and Kennedy Chandler's Vescovy had a good year, be, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Vescovy would be probably the Tennessee guy. But maybe even if you're picking 10, maybe Kennedy Chandler might find his way on there as well. But I'll tell you what, Zakai Ziegler, who was unknown before the Peach Jam last July with no D1 offers, uh, Rick Barnes just saw something in him, and um, he was supposed to be going to prep school, and, he, and they talked him into coming, and he had a great a Peach Jam, and all of a sudden he became a commodity. And for whatever reason, he felt comfortable going to Tennessee despite the fact Kennedy Chandler was there. And I guarantee you, if, if they didn't have – Zakai Ziegler, a kid who snuck on train rides so he could attend a, a prep school, a New York City kid, a prep school in New Jersey, and nobody wanted, if they didn't have him, there's no way that Tennessee would have been 12 and uh, or 14 and 4 in the league and, yeah. and have the number two seed going into uh, the SEC tournament. Yeah, he's just one of those players. The game goes a whole lot faster uh, when he's out there. And I thought it was really cool the the outpouring of of love for him after his uh, family's home burned, burned down and uh, they had the GoFundMe campaign. The last I heard, it was like three hundred fifty thousand dollars or something like that. And yeah, just, just, an original goal of fifty. Yeah, it, it just uh, makes you makes you feel good about people that that there are a lot of people with with kind hearts out there and and able to to reach out and help that young man and, and his family. I was thinking uh, more yeah. players in, in terms of uh, all, all conference type selections. Colin Castleton for Florida and Tyree Appleby, to me, those are two of the best players I've seen play in person. Iverson Molinar from Mississippi State's had a tremendous year. Uh, Darius Davis. Tari Eason from LSU. Yeah, Tari Eason, exactly. There are a couple guys in LSU you could probably go with. But, yeah, a few of the names that uh, you'll more than likely see when those all-conference teams are announced. Over in the ACC, I uh, wanted to mention Wake Forest coach, and I know friend of yours and friend of our show, Steve Forbes, has signed a long-term deal with the Demon Deacons. ACC Coach of the Year and expected to be in the first time in the tournament for the first time since 2017. Uh, he went six and 16 last season in the COVID year. This year they yeah. went 23 and eight and finished uh, with a number five seed in the ACC, a projected 10 seed for the tournament. So he's done a really good job there, and uh, happy for Steve Forbes getting that long term deal. And uh, I know they'll be uh, more than likely uh, happy that they uh, came up with that contract for him at Wake Forest because he's done a really good job there. If you want to get a warm, squishy feeling, go on ESPN and look up his interview with uh, Wes Durham, our buddy who was on our podcast last week. They talked to Steve, and Wes asked him, who was the first person that you thought about when you won that? And he said his father, who passed away three years. It would be March 20th. And uh, he got a little choked up, which he should have. Uh, Steve is, is a great guy. Uh, I can remember he got fired along with Bruce Pearl and the whole staff at Tennessee after that NCAA kerfluffle. And I can remember talking to him when he took the first job, the only job that he could get at the time at Northwest Florida Junior College. And he was understandably bombed and totally derailed. And I talked to him uh, many times and I said, Steve, you just got to bet on yourself, man. And I texted him this morning and, and I said that your bet won, sir. Nah. Uh, it's incredible. 
16 home wins is the most in Wake Forest proud history. Wow. And they improved their ACC record by 10 wins, which is the largest turnaround in that historic league's history. So well-deserved uh, to my buddy Steve Forbes. He's one of the good ones. He's all he's the captain of the all-lobby team in every Final Four because <laughs> everybody knows Steve Forbes. And uh, he's just such a great dude. I'm, I'm so happy for him. Uh, North Carolina spoiled the Coach K send-off at Duke the other day, 94-81. The Tar Heels won at Cameron. It was still a great scene, though. ESPN did a great job covering every angle, including, Chris, what I, I thought was a cool panel discussion. You had Jay Billis with Steve Wojciechowski, Trajan Langdon, Shane Battier, and J.J. Redick, and they just told stories about Coach K and that, man. That was some that was some fantastic material that you heard from those guys who were all, great, all great, great players I, I like at Duke. I the question where uh, Coach K, where he really lowered the boom on him. Uh-huh. I forget who it was, but there was one that only only felt his wrath just once. Uh, I think it was I Wojo. Well, Wojo, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, that that was great. The whole atmosphere was great. Uh, you just knew with all that hi- hype and pomp and circumstance that that Carolina would go in there with a, with a puncher's chance. And you know there was a great scene in in the Carolina locker room. Uh, I just saw this last night on ESPN. Somebody obviously took it with a with a cell phone, but uh, Armando Baycott uh, was hugging Hubert Davis, and the two of them. I mean, it was the longest embrace ever. <laughs> then Brady Manick came over and hugged both of them, and they were all crying. It was just a great scene. This game just—I mean, all sports evokes emotion, but you know, these are young kids. Uh, maybe some of them having the adventure of their of their entire lives. Uh, but yeah, Carolina played great. They had four players at 20 points plus, uh, that's the Carolina that we all know. And, and, you know, some of us love, uh, that, that Roy Williams played Hubert yeah. Davis, you know, he, he put some of his wrinkles out there, but they're running Roy Williams, uh, high octane offense. And, uh, they've won something like 10 of their last 12 or whatever. Uh, they're red hot right now. So who knows, uh, the ACC is down. I'll give you that, but I don't think it taints anything that Steve Forbes did, anything Hubert Davis did, and I still think that that Duke is a national championship contender. By the way, on our uh, on Blue Ribbon's newsletter, blueribbon.substack.com, we've already begun our tournament coverage, and we've got a really cool series on the 13 teams we think have a shot to win it all. All right. We'll be looking forward to uh, to reading those because that that's uh... – I'm sure an interesting collection of teams. Uh, a lot of people think that that number is usually smaller than that, but uh, so yeah, it, it's uh, certainly. A, if you look at it, it's crazy though. If you yeah. look at it, just to give you an example of, of a team I know, Tennessee. Right. right. Nobody would think that, but you look at who they've beaten. They've got wins over three teams that are on Lenardi's either one or two seed lines. Uh, they beat the hottest team in the SEC in Arkansas. Uh, they had no bad losses, which means only losses were in quad one. Uh, they're ranked eighth in the net, uh, and they've got great guard play. So uh, they are just one of a handful of teams I I think can win it. You just never know. It, it reminds me a little bit of that South Carolina team that Frank Martin took. Uh, what year was it now? It's, it's 2017. 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that team had great guards and, and Tennessee has great guards and a lot of depth. So uh, you never know. Um, Rick, I've said this on the show before his goal and the reason he's still in it is 67. He says he wants to play on Monday night and everybody knows what that means. Right. That's uh, that's the goal of every team. Uh, coaching changes coming up. I was counting them up a few minutes ago. Already 17 jobs changing hands, including Duke with Mike Krzyzewski, and they had the uh, succession plan with John Shire stepping in. But Louisville and Maryland also among the high majors. We'll see where those go. Uh, you figure Georgia might be in play in the SEC. Not Nothing official there yet with, with Tom Crean, but they, they had a rough time of it, 1-17 in in the SEC. So uh, we'll keep an eye on some of those coaching changes coming up, and, and those things will probably start to fall, I would say, uh, see even more of those in the next week or so. Yeah, I, I, I think Tom Crean is a good coach. Uh, I've enjoyed talking with him when I've done the, the Georgia story for Blue Ribbon, but I just don't see how he survives uh, after a 1-17 uh, season. And, you know, all the transfers that have, that have gone, it's going to be interesting to see who Louisville taps, uh, who's ready to take on that challenge. Uh, it's definitely, it's still one of the best jobs in the country, but boy, it's an uphill climb right now, I, I think. Same with Maryland, one of the best jobs in the country, but an uphill climb in that Big Ten for sure. And then there's a couple that that really kind of surprised me. Uh, uh, Florida Gulf Coach, uh, Gulf Coast fi- fired Michael Fly off a 21-win season. Yeah, I wonder what it's happened there. I, I thought there. that was I thought that was really strange uh, because I saw the same yeah. thing you did, and I'm thinking, you know, what what are the expectations there? I know, you know, they they went to the tournament. Uh, yeah, been to the tournament a few times. They made the Sweet 16 the one year, and uh, <laughs> Coach parlayed that into a job at USC, but. Yeah, I, I thought that was a strange firing too. Maybe there's more behind the story that we don't know. So, yeah, we'll have those. Yeah, those coaches. Usually there is. Yeah, usually there is. That that's exactly right. Chris, we always joke about me being one of the more well-traveled college basketball broadcasters. And I was thinking the other day, I've been to like over 120 or whatever it is uh, gyms and arenas around the country to call games. But I think I might have seen the nicest gym of them all last Saturday. We played wow. down in Oxford with Vanderbilt at the Pavilion at Ole Miss. That that was some kind of place. I know you've been there. I know Kermit Davis, yeah. uh, I think, took in a little uh, tour around it uh, a few years ago. But it, it's well thought out. It's the perfect size for what they need. Uh, better teams will bring bigger crowds there for Ole Miss. But, gosh, it's like every detail was just perfect in the place. It had a big skylight on the end, which brought natural light into the arena, but also did not – make a big glare on the court, which can be a big problem when you try to do something like that. But Like Kermit's old uh, building. Right, right, right. Kermit's old building, State. right, the, the glass house. Uh, yeah. But, but I mean, it, it, just all the all the details are really neat. The uh, the radio broadcast positions were, were one uh, small gripe I might have about the place. <laughs> we didn't have very much room <laughs> set right up behind the scores table, which turned out to be okay. It was funny, uh, going in, I, I knew that Joe Klein was going to be one of the broadcasters who was going to be on the game. Uh, in the analyst role for SEC Network on Saturday, I'm thinking, okay, if we're sitting in the row behind Joe Klein, that's a big dude. How are you gonna see? He, he's about seven feet tall. He's gonna block out about you know half of the the right side of the the court. But they yeah. it ended up they did the game remotely. I think he and Roy Philpot were doing the game, or, or Mike Morgan, and uh, they were remote, so had a pretty uh, clear view of the court. But I really love the building. I'd walked around the outside of it when I was down there for baseball uh, last spring, but that was the first time I'd been inside. I walked up to the very top row and sat and watched some of our shoot around, which I've done that in almost every arena we've been to. I've walked up in the upper deck 
Uh, I didn't make it all the way to the top of Kentucky. I had to take a 30-second timeout when I got about halfway up there. Uh, but, <laughs> but at Ole Miss, I went to the top, and there isn't a bad seat in the place. So uh, kudos to Ole Miss on, on a beautiful building. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to go to some new ones this season. I saw several new buildings around the SEC uh, that I might have driven past or poked my head in the door but did not call games. And it's been fun to make the tour this season. Well, I'll tell you, you're much more traveled than I. Um, I spent the first part of my career working for newspapers that didn't have huge budgets, and I often didn't go on road trips. But uh, So I envy you some of the places you've been, for sure. But Ole Miss, you're right. That's a perfect facility, perfect size, uh, state-of-the-art. When I was there with Kerman and his staff, he, he literally – opens a door in his office and goes into the practice facility. Huh. I mean, not, I mean, how great is that? Uh, a lot of practice facilities don't adjoin uh, coach's office uh, complex and he just opens the door and there they are. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's an amazing place. Uh, I, I guess I would, uh, the, they had the, the print media pretty high up as well, but even up there, it, it, there wasn't a bad seat or, I mean, you can see everything. So, but uh, uh, kudos to them because they, they knew exactly what they wanted and they didn't want to overbuild. I mean, sometimes uh, I remember when, when Tennessee and Coach Don DeVoe wanted to have a bigger Rupp Arena at Tennessee, and they built, I don't know, it was 24,000 seats. It, and yeah, at that it, time, the program was a little shaky after DeVoe left, and uh, they had to put black curtains around mm -hmm. so it wouldn't be embarrassing. And then – when Bruce Pearl was there, they refurbished the place. They built some skyboxes, and uh, actually reduced the 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 uh, the seating. And even with that reduction, they were still fifth in the country this year in total attendance. And their last three games were sold out, which has never happened in school history. I think it was twenty-one-five or something like yeah. that. So, yeah, bigger isn't always better. Better is better. Yeah, I think, in, especially in this day and age of how people consume sports, uh, people are so much more likely to stay home a lot of the time and watch it in high def on their couch. And so maybe giant capacity arenas and stadiums aren't the way to go and won't be the way to go in the future. But it's funny, you were talking about Tennessee. That went all the way back to when Ray Mears was coach. I can remember seeing a photo of Ray Mears with a little model of what would ultimately be Thompson Bowling Arena. But I think, like you said, their whole goal was to build a building that was bigger than Rupp Arena. And, you know, That's it, all they wanted. Yeah, it held 25000 when they first built it. And, and like Rupp Arena, it was kind of just a big warehouse to watch basketball. Uh, you know, it had the, the orange seats and all that. But when they did the renovation of that place, it became one of the nicest places in the country. It, it, it's, it's really, really a great place to see a game uh, for Tennessee fans. Uh, the, the other one I, I thought in the league that was super nice was Auburn. Uh, that was the first time I'd been there to their, I say, new place. I'd, I'd been to the old one. I'd done a game at the old uh, Beard Eves Coliseum years ago. But uh, that place was super nice. Great atmosphere with Auburn, you know, having a great team and the students right down there on the court. I thought Florida did a, a really beautiful job with the renovation uh, of the O-Dome. Uh, I'd poked my head in there, walked around before. I had not seen a game there when it was had the old setup. But uh, they, they completely refurbished that building a few years back and did a great job. It's really, really nice. So some good places around the SEC and, uh, and fun to make the tour. Chris, as we uh, finish up here, you have a, a bracket breaker for us this week? Yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, again, the, t the the school that signs my paycheck. That's what you got to do, man. You know what I always say? I, I, people ask me this sometimes, and I say, you always root for your employer. 
So uh, <laughs> that'll be easy for you to do yeah. in this NCAA tournament. I'm, I'm but a humble adjunct professor of the teaching one class. But, uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I, I do think this team uh, could be a, a bracket breaker. They've got uh, experience at every position. They've got a, a kid named Malachi Smith, who's a big point guard, which is rare for the mid-major level, but rare anywhere for that matter. He was player of the year in the league, and his stats are, you know, he's a, a stat sheet stuffer, does everything well. Uh, David John Baptiste, uh, the hero of, of the week, uh, maybe the, one of the heroes of March, is a great uh, three-point shooter. He's been there forever, I think six years. Uh, he actually left uh, last year for a little while because of COVID and then came back. It was crazy. And then they've got DeSosa, the kid from Kansas, who's a legit big in any man's league. And then several others, I'm counting them up, one, two, three, four, five, five other kids who played uh, D1 ball elsewhere. So they're an older, experienced group. And Lamont, his first two years, they struggled a little bit, losing 20 games each year. But the last three years, they've been on an upward trajectory. And finally getting back to the dance after 2016, I, I think this team is poised to, 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 to make a run with it. If I'm not mistaken, our buddy Joey Brackets has them around a 13 seed. So, you know, it's not going to be an easy right. uh, but it's doable. Uh, game, but but it but it's doable. Uh we, we see we see some of those upsets uh occasionally. Uh not as many, but but some. I'm gonna stick with one of my original bracket busters. That's Loyola Chicago. They're in the dance. There they uh go. they won the Missouri Valley Championship on Sunday, so uh I saw them back uh, in November and December when they, they played at Vanderbilt, and I was really impressed. They were an older team. Uh, they were well-schooled. They ran their stuff. Uh, Coach Valentine's done a good job uh, continuing what they had uh, already had in place up there. They, they're, they're leaving the Missouri Valley after this season. But uh, Sister Jean and the whole crew, uh, they'll, they'll be uh, rolling yeah. on to the NCAA tournament now. So I'll, I'm going to stay with Loyola as, uh, as my bracket breaker for this week. Probably not a bad choice. Sister Jean is still kicking it at 102. Yep. Man, if, to, to, if I could still appreciate college hoops at 102, bring it on. You think about 102 years old. I'm only like halfway there. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I got 50 more in me or not. got a long time, man. Yeah, we'll see. Chris, always a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be uh, cranking things up with the, the NCAA tournament about this time next week. So uh, looking forward to it. Thanks as always, buddy. Enjoy that SEC tournament, man. He's Chris Dortch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.